0: glad you are here today I'm glad we can worship the Lord together um, in spirit and in truth we're continuing through the book of Matthew we're plugging right along um, section by section so this morning um, we'll begin in Matthew chapter 21 uh, verse 33 uh, give us a little bit of context uh, we'll read um, the end of 21 um, and we'll we'll pray and, and get into our, our lesson. Uh, This morning, but I want to just set a little bit of the context as Jesus has now, uh, you know, he's basically come to the end of his public ministry. This is the very end of his public ministry. And so he's gone um, into Jerusalem. You know, the crowds followed, uh, putting down their coats um, in front of him, um, riding on the colt and waving their palm branches. And he goes in and cleanses the temple. So you have this contrast uh, between humility and and power, um, he goes into the temple. He cleanses the temple. Um, he's, he's you know frust- rightfully frustrated that what the scripture said should be called a house of prayer um, has been turned into a den of robbers. Um, and so he's frustrated that people are are profiteering off of this um, religion uh, or religious things should say. And then um, as he's there, he heals. Um, you know, children praise him, and then his authority is challenged um, by, the, by the Pharisees, by the, you know, leaders of Israel, and we're going to see that authority continue to be challenged, and so basically, um, they had asked him a question um, in chapter 21, you know, by what authority do you do these things? And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, just didn't give them a direct answer. He asked them a question and said, you know, John the Baptist, by what authority did he work? And he put, the, he put those religious leaders in, in a little bit of a pickle um, because they had a choice to say either he was from God, which most of the you know, common people agreed with, um, and then it would be like, well, why didn't you follow what he said? Um, so that they don't want to do that option, but they're also afraid because they know the people view him as a prophet. Of a true prophet of God, that they don't want uh, to be at odds, you know, with the majority of the of the common people. And so it's and then so Jesus says, you know, then I'm not going to tell you either about what authority I do these things. And then he goes on to to really hammer them because of all people, um, you know, they were the ones who were to be the caretakers of the scriptures and to teach the people. They should recognize the preparation for the Messiah and they should recognize the Messiah when he comes. But it was those who were, you know, known sinners who, who didn't have any problem saying, "Yes, I'm a sinner. Um, yes, I've done wrong." Um, that recognized and repented at the preaching of of John the Baptist and were baptized. And even after that, he says, even afterwards, um, you did not change your minds, and you did not believe. You know, you didn't believe him. You didn't believe John the Baptist what he what he taught and what he said. And so. From there, he's going he's to tell us a couple of parables this morning that we're going to look at that you know seem very harsh, and, and they are harsh. There's, not, there's no getting around um, that reality, but understanding that context, remembering that context from, from last week and, and who he's speaking to um, helps to understand why he uses the sort of language um, that he uses. Yeah, and, and that's just an important lesson as we read... You know any of the scriptures, you read something that sounds you know soft and, and easy well well, read what's around it and, and understand why and don't just be like well I, I like that because that sounds soft and easy and, and what seems hard, you know don't just ignore and say, well, that's hard, you know but we need to understand context we need to we need to try to understand what's happening and and you know to rightly interpret it in its in its context and then that helps us to come to, to good and true applications you know for our for ourselves and and for the context that we're in. Uh, so let's go ahead and read this first parable uh, beginning in verse 33 uh, and we'll finish chapter 21 and we'll pray and, and get into this a little a little deeper. It says listen to another parable There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent another group of servants larger than the first, and then they they did the same thing to him. To them. It's the same thing to them. But afterward he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed it. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls it will, it will scatter him like dust." And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Uh, let's pray, Heavenly Father. We're so thankful for Your Word this morning that You've given to us that it is that it is true, that it tells us um, all that we need to know from the beginning. Uh, to the end. Uh, it tells us how to, how to be right with you and to know you and how to walk with you. Uh, we see in it here the, the words and the teachings of your son Jesus this morning. Jesus, thank you for teaching us and help us to understand and to rightly understand these things um, and then that we can rightly apply them um, in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to go to the cross to pay the ultimate price for us. And so we're thankful that you are a Savior who is willing to die and a King um, who is risen and who will return in glory. Help us uh, to be faithful to you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so in this passage here, uh, we have this parable that Jesus gives, and you know, it's and you know, you start out, and it's a, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, using terminology that the people would very much you know understand because you know vineyards were um, commonplace, and it was common that somebody would own a vineyard and then they'd rent that you know out to the to the workers. Uh, and so this you know landowner here, he he does a lot in terms of he you know he has the the vineyard planted, he has a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower for it, um, and he rented it out. And really, you know, if you think about this, in I think the context that Jesus is is giving here, you're thinking about um, Israel, particularly here the leadership of Israel. But you think of all that God did for Israel as you read the Old Testament, and how you know He gave them you know a land. um, He gave them you know protection. uh, You know there there was. a, a covenant with that in the sense of you know if you if you honor the you know if you honor the way of God then you're going to have protection and things are going to be good for you but if you go after false gods then there's going to be you know judgment for that and you know but yet at the same time we see through the prophets you know God is always calling his people back because his preference is always on mercy you know over judgment and so he's always trying to you know to call them back um, you know, to, to be the people that he's called them to be. And so, you know, in those first sentences, you have, um, you know, kind of what God has done, you know, for them, you know, and for, the, for that nation. Uh, but then, you know, again, there's that expectation, just like a, a, you know, owner of a vineyard would expect the workers to work the vineyard and to, you know, uh, to share with the owner you know, the portion that he's due. It's going to be a, um, a relationship where, where everyone is, is benefiting, right? In that same sort of way, um, you know, God expects his people to have faith in him, to obey the things that he's given them to do. And the, the reason for that is because God certainly knows how we should live better than we do. Um, he knows what's good for us. Um, when people follow the way of, of God... Uh, and you can put this at a very simple level. If you follow the way of God um, in your home, there's going to be order in your home. Uh, you know, there's going to be more. There's going to be more order. There's going to be more joy. There's going to be more peace. Okay. Now you can extrapolate that out. You know, for a for a nation. You know, so there would be, if they follow the way of God. I and mean, we think about this for the nation of Israel. You know, you're talking there about what was intended to be a a theocracy. You know, God gave them a king because they they begged for a king. But the original intention is that that would be a theocracy that, you know, God would send his messages to what the people were to do and they would do it. And they didn't need to have this person, you know, in this elevated, you know, position. But you think about the law of Moses when it gave. What What, what would you have if that was followed, you know, fully? Well, you wouldn't have any theft. You You wouldn't have... People go into prison unjustly. You wouldn't have any murders. You wouldn't have any adultery. You know, imagine like a society without those things. Like, there's safety, there's security, there's peace. You're not worried that your neighbor's going to come over and attack you in the night. You know, and think about how many people in the world, you know, go to bed with fear, you know, sleep with one eye open. Because of chaos throughout, you know, the world. And, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have a lot of problems in our nation. But one of the reasons why so many people from so many different parts of, of the world, you know, whether you're talking about Honduras or Albania or, you know, somewhere in, in the Philippines or whatever. You know, people try to get here because they, they at least believe there's going to be more safety, more security, at least on a relative terms, We would look at some of our places today and go, that's really unsafe. You know? Um, So, you know, we we need to to understand this that God had his way. Um, And if people followed that, it would be what was fully best for them. They would enjoy their relationship with God and they would enjoy their relationship with other people, with their neighbors. You know, that's why Jesus says the whole sum of the law could be, you know, summarized with, you know, love God with all that you are, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So you could summarize it with that. But what happens here as, you know, the vine growers took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. So, you know, he's giving an illustration there of, you know, what, what happened in the, you know, what we call Old Testament history. You know, when God had his servants working among the people, how were they treated? And then notice this. Again, he sent another group of servants larger than the first. The same things happened to them. So I think he's referring there to a period of time between, you know, we're using very loose dates here, but approximately 800... BC to approximately 400 BC, where, you know, just let, let, me, just, let me just read off this list of, of prophets. Okay, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Jonah, Isaiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. That's a lot. That's a lot. You know, we also could throw into that mix um, Ezra and, and Nehemiah are in this time period. There's a lot of you know, prophecy. There's a lot of rebuke. There's a lot of calling the nation back to what it should be um, in, the, in that time period. And we see that many of these prophets were, you know, re- 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 you know some were killed, some were, were hurt. It was a difficult thing to be a prophet of God and to speak the truth. It wasn't the popular th- thing. A difficult thing to do. And then, you know, it wasn't truly a period of silence, but there wasn't the, you know, um, there wasn't the, the writing of, of scripture, like prophets on that level writing scripture by inspiration for the 400 years um, between Malachi and the birth of Jesus and, you know, John the Baptist entering, you know, the scene. And that's where the vineyard owner says, But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So here, Jesus is saying about these Pharisees and these religious leaders, they actually know who he is. But they don't want... The game to change. They don't want to to lose what they had been, you know, in some ways entrusted with on a temporary basis. They wanted to keep, you know, that power in a permanent, ongoing way. They didn't see themselves as stewards of what God had given them, but as lords over it. And that's a big difference. You know, we make one note of application there that's just very simple for our lives. Do we view ourselves as stewards of the, you know, God's given us, given you, given me, a life to live? Do you view yourself as Lord over your life or as a steward of your life? He's given you opportunities. He's given you a certain amount of reign. Okay? A certain amount of something to be in authority over, At, at the minimum, your own your own body, your own person, your own mind, and emotions, you know like what you do and how you interact with this world, you have an authority there from which to live your life. and then we have different amounts of, of other realms to deal in, whether it 's in education or in war, you know some, some type of work, whatever it is, family, whatever. <laughs> shape or form that happens to be in at this time but he's given you something there so now do you view it as I am the Lord over this meaning I am the final decision maker and what I want it needs to have the priority or I'm a steward of this everything is a gift and I'm a steward of it Problem with these Pharisees, they viewed themselves as lords. And they had the same mentality that the Gentile, the Roman, you know, Caesars and governors had about their deal, which not were stewards of these people. You know, we we exist to be a good steward so that all benefit. No, Jesus says, Don't be like them who lord it over them. What cause you know that's just about extraction for one 's personal gain, but Jesus tells us different you know his economy is different that 's why he tells us you know in his kingdom to be great means to be servant of all serve, 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 as opposed to lord 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 you know there 's a huge difference in that and and, and god 's able to expect this of us because the King of all came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And here he predicts, you know, again, his death, they're trying to kill him. Let's not lose sight of that. The people you know, that Jesus is speaking to here are actively seeking his death. So then he asks them that question, you know, what is the owner of the vineyard going to do? to those vine growers, you know, and, and they say it, out of their own mouths, they speak the truth, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And then that's where Jesus says, did you never read the scriptures? I mean, because like, that's their, you know, one of their jobs, read scriptures. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So again, this chief cornerstone. With it, there are you know options. What did you say back on the Sermon on the Mount, the end of Matthew seven? He said, you know, that whoever builds you know life on his teachings, like one who builds his house on the rock you know and that house is going to be able to withstand the difficulties the pressures the storms of life it's going to be able to withstand even you know judgment built on the rock but those who build on the sand the foolish building you know what happens when the storms come what happens when the trials of life come what happens you know as we see in our study um, in our house fellowship on the in the book of revelation, you know what happens when judgment starts to show up so notice this people can build on that chief cornerstone they can be they can stumble over it and broke into pieces and I think in this next um, parable the one we 're about to hit we 'll see what it, you know, kind of a, a differentiation here, but they're going to be broken, stumbling, broken into pieces, and others whom it falls on, you know, are going to be you know crushed into dust. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next um, in the next parable. Now, so he's saying, you know, it's going to be given to this other you know people. What is that? Mean your your translation may say nation is the same you know word it's kind of a contextual thing where we want to say people nation um, you know same Greek words translated people and nation in different different places different contexts but um, it's this idea um, that the you know the Gentiles are going to play a more prominent role here. I think we can safely make an allusion to you know, the church. You know, we get these foretaste of you know, the church coming. Okay, so they're gonna have a place. Now, we wanna be careful here because you, you know you can take one parable and say, you know, I'm gonna define my whole theology about these about everything on one parable. you know that that would be a mistake. Okay? The, what the parable says is is true. But every parable also has, you know, limitations. It's not meant to be an exhaustive, you know, theology. Okay? What I mean by that. Because, you know, it's going to be taken, you know, taken from you and, and given to another. So, some people would read that and say, well, you know, Israel's not going to be in the picture anymore. Israel's done. Well, that's not really fair to the whole of Scripture. It's not fair to everything Jesus says. not fair to everything the prophets say. Not fair to everything the apostles say. You've got to take the whole of the scripture. You could also say, just reading this parable, you see, you know, God never had anything to do with the Gentiles before then. And it's not until here do they even have a chance for anything. Well, you know, a simple read of the Old Testament would show that's not true because you have you know, many different Gentiles from many different nations coming to faith in the true and living God in the Old Testament. Okay. We also know that the early church, you know, who started it? Well, you know, ultimately Jesus is the author of it, and the disciples who were, you know, were all Jewish, and the majority of the, you know, first believers were, you know, Jewish or Hebrews. Okay, so, you know, obviously, you know, they're not done from this. And then if you read, you know, Romans 9 through 11, you see very clearly God's not done, you know, with with Israel, but still has plans, you know, for them. Okay, so you know that that's um, again we have to take the, the bigger context for any you know for a particular verse is the surrounding verses in the book that it's in, and the context for the book is the whole Bible itself. So anytime you read a parable, if you come to a conclusion that's contrary to the what the Bible says as a whole, you know, okay, I'm I'm taking that parable too far, or I'm missing something in it, or I'm mis- there's a misunderstanding somewhere, because, you know, God's going to be consistent with his deal, and, and so we need to be um, careful in, in understanding it, that the parables are all true, every scripture is true, but again, we have to take the whole of it. Um you know, people get themselves in trouble when they just want to focus on, you know, a few passages and say, This defines everything for me. You know, that gets you in trouble. All right, so now let's continue on. Now, again, they know now, okay, he said this directly to, to us, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And so, verse 22, he says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven beg be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest... Seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feasts." Those servants went out in the streets and gathered together. All they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, and the king said to his servant, Buy him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Again, hard words. Difficult. But now let's have this context. Jesus says, you know, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A king gives a wedding feast for his son. So you, I think we can pretty safely say who the father and who the son is in this parable that Jesus is giving. God the Father, his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's inviting all these to the wedding feast. Now, notice you have you know two, two approaches. One is an indifference. One is, I'm just busy with other things, one to his farm, another to his business. I don't have time for that. Okay, it's an ignoring of the things of God. We find this all the time. Um, you know, in, in this world, you know, people are like, well, I don't have time for that right now. I'm too, I'm too busy. I don't have time to. Try to figure out who God is and relationship, you know, with Him. All that stuff you're talking about. I'm too busy. I've got school. I've got work. I've got family. I've got these things. Okay. Problem there is, it's not too busy because we have time for what we value as most important. Right? It's not too busy. It's wrong priorities, but it's an indifference. I think that those could be. You know, I'm not going to die on this hill. But I think that those could be who Jesus refers to, you know, in the parable right before this as those who stumble over. Okay? Um, And and because then there is another group who are actively antagonistic, seeking to kill and destroy the people of God. And those are the ones in God's judgment, you know, crushed. So there's, now they're both, now, Both are really bad scenarios. One stumbles over and is broken into pieces, larger pieces, but broken. The other is crushed into fine powder. You know, there's judgment there, but but throughout the scriptures, we do have this idea that all judgment is going to be terrible on this like certain base level. Like you don't want to have anything to do with any of that. But for those who are exceedingly wicked, who exercise their wickedness. And never repent of that. That there is greater judgment for them. Now, I can't, you know, at what form or fashion, you know, that is. Don't necessarily have all the answers to that. But it does seem that God makes a distinction between those who are indifferent. And those who are, you know, pursuing evil with all that they have. Now, please don't misistake um, that statement for any sort of universalism for those who are just indifferent. like they'll be okay at the end just by being indifferent. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. God knows the hearts. you're going to test um, the hearts of each one, and is there faith, or is there falsehood? and we're going to and that's where we get. In this thing, you know, the king was enraged. He destroyed those murderers, sets their city on fire. You know, basically, he's going to destroy them in their way of life. Their way of life is wicked. He's going to deal with that. And as we've talked about, you know, here recently, in recent weeks, just, you know, sometimes um, we are shielded from the understanding of all the wickedness that is in our world, but when you, you know, if, you, if you take, and I'm not suggesting you should, but if you take a closer look at the evil of wickedness in this world and the depth and breadth of it, you have less problem with these words of Jesus. When you understand wickedness, you have less problem with judgment. You know, when you want to live in a fantasy land of everything's not that bad, and you know we as a people are getting better and whatever, you want to live in all that fantasy, well then you might have a problem with these words. But the more you see the reality, the more you see the necessity of God's justice. So he tells them to go back out, get everybody here to the wedding feast that you can. And it's, you know, he says both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And then when the king comes in, he sees someone there not dressed in wedding clothes. Friend, how'd you come in here without wedding clothes? There was an under, and the man says the man was speechless, means he knows he doesn't have an excuse, right? I mean, he knows what was, you know, expected. Some commentators have, uh, made the claim, and I don't, I don't know if it's a hundred percent accurate. But in these, t- in this area, in these times, if a, if a king um, invited guests, if they didn't have the proper attire, he would provide it for them. So you know, if it's provided for him, um, it's pretty lazy, not just to change the clothes, right? Because you know people. Say, well, what if you? You know, because you can make you can try to make all excuses for this dude. Like, well, what if you know? What if he was poor? What if he was this? What if he was that? But the fact that he's speechless, like he, he knows he doesn't have any excuse. He Doesn't have any excuse. Um, and and so I think what Jesus is saying there is that you know there there are going to be points in time, um, and I and I think you can have different applications of this, but one. You know, could be for the, for the church, you know, in a church community, you're not necessarily going to know, you know, who is right with God and who isn't. You're not always going to be able to, to tell that, but God knows, and he's, when he comes in, he's going to judge that, you know, situation. But we can certainly say that in, in God, and in, in with God, he has provided the clothes that are necessary. What do I... You know, what do I mean by that? He's, pro- He's provided through his grace everything that is necessary for salvation. Jesus went to the cross for us. There's not an excuse. There's no one can, can say, you know, I'm innocent before God. You know, there, there's not, ex- not going to be a like, oh, here are my valid reasons. It doesn't work like that. Um, and so the scripture teaches us, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Um, well, who are the ones who are chosen? Well, the, the ones who have the, the wedding garments, right? Well, how do you receive the wedding garments? Well, these clear in scripture, it's by grace through faith. Right? God's provided in his grace, you know, for salvation, it's entered into um, through faith. You see that um, all the way back from Abel, the, the blood of Abel testifies to us of his faith. You see that all the way back from you know Genesis, all the way forward to Revelation, where you know Jesus says that you know to the churches, you know those who overcome, and we know from writings in John, those who overcome are the ones who have you know true faith. Will receive you know, these garments. Throughout, in the book of Revelation, multiple times you see this, you know, things of, of white garments. In one place they're told to purchase them. You know, one church is told to purchase them. You know, Sardis told to you know, purchase them. Well, again, how was that done? Faith in Jesus. You know, believe in him. Because, because we know God is you know, Jesus is not saying um, in Revelation there. You know, work your way to it. I mean, we know scripture, scriptures teer, clearly teach us we can't you know work our way to salvation, not of work so that no one can brag guy's grace through faith, but it's still there is that responsibility that comes into play and into the picture, okay. And again, it's a, it's a balance in these things. In, in, in theology, people tend to go to ex- extremes. You know, and you go to one extreme where you know, it's kind of like an all-man thing, pulling himself up by his bootstraps, and you know, either being his own God or can make himself right with God by doing enough you know, good or by you know, being intelligent enough or whatever it is. Um, and then on the other hand... You go to a, too far of an extreme, you can eliminate all human responsibility from the equation. Well, we see this tension in Scripture where it's by God's grace and without the work of God and without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and without the message of salvation, without Jesus going to the cross, you know, we'd have no shot in any... I mean, we're done. Without God's grace, we're done. Like, us on our own... We are if, if we were just left on our own, or to our own devices, we're simple people going to do simple things, going to go against and rebel against the ways of God. But God's grace is abundant. But there's still that need for human responsibility. If your system removes all human responsibility, well then a lot of the words of Jesus don't make any sense. Because Jesus, you know, we see Jesus... You know, weep over the city of Jerusalem. Say how you know I would gather you in like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. Well, that has to make sense. You know, so we have to balance these these things. And I'm not saying we all can figure it out. Figure we can figure it all out. You know, perfectly to the decimal or whatever. But you know, I do think we have a responsibility. Um, to avoid any any false you know theologies that tell us that that you know our salvation is dependent on our ability to do good. based on God's goodness. And and we do have a responsibility, I think, to avoid an extremism that removes you know any responsibility of, of human beings from the equation. Because we see a dynamic relationship throughout the scriptures. So it's about a balance in these things. And that doesn't sound so much fun because in all things, extremism is easier and simpler and you can get fired up about extremism a lot more than you can about moderation and pretty much anything. Gay moderation, Woo. <laughs> you know. But now with that, I, I want to be careful because of what I'm not saying there um, is unpassionate people and you know wallowing in a middle ground. Because what we are, what we are extreme about, what we can rally about is Jesus Christ and His message. You see, there, you know, people are going to look at us and say, you're extremist. You're ridiculous. You're going to say that, of you know, all the things in this world, Jesus is, you know, the only way, the only truth, the only life? Yeah, we are. Because that's what Jesus said. And if you take away that from him, then you don't have any Jesus left. You got somebody else. You know, and, and, and so in that extremism... You know, we have placed more than a bet, right? You haven't just placed like, hey, here's my financial well-being or something, you know, that can come and go anyway in that sort of deal. You, you know, you, you're placing your eternity. I mean, all on Jesus or not. Now, both are ultimate bets. Because everybody who says not Jesus, they're all placing their bet that there's some other thing, or that they'll be just fine if they say no to Jesus. That's an all or nothing bet, too. We're not the only ones making that all or nothing bet, because that's just the nature of the, of the deal. That you take Jesus or don't, it's an all or nothing either way. There, people that aren't taking Jesus don't, don't think about it that way, necessarily. But to think through it logically, they are making an all-or-nothing scenario. Just as we are. Perhaps you can propose that to someone who's, you know, when you have that conversation, are you willing to bet everything that he's not? You know, because you are betting everything that he's not. According to what he himself has said, because he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If that's not a bottom line declaration, I mean, you're not going to find one. That's as bottom line as it gets, folks. And obviously, as Jesus gives these parables, you know, people, I just don't see how people make any claim to take Jesus' seriously when they end up with a universalism and they read these verses. I mean, basically, you just have to say none of this in here is true. And if none of this in here is true, you, you, don't, you don't have any sort of foundation from which to believe in Jesus in at all. I mean, it, it's such a, in, in many ways, such a disingenuous thing to hold any th- any claim of you know, Jesus. And to make these universalist sort of claims, when you have passages like this that we read in the scripture, like, a person isn't taking Jesus seriously, or doesn't believe these words are true, and either of them leave you with no real Jesus. those would be far better off to say, yes, I believe in a universalism and it has nothing to do with Jesus at all. Like, that at least has some, some form of logic to it. That has some form of logic to it. To try to hold Jesus and deny so much of what he said in the scriptures is completely illogical. On a number of of levels. But yet, it's pretty popular today because, again, people don't want to deal with these realities. You know, this is, I mean, and this is a key, one of the key examples of, you know, this is why we teach straight through books of the Bible. Because when, when, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot this one straight. When people have the option not to, to teach straight through books of the Bible, they're normally not going to pull up into Matthew twenty-one, beginning of twenty-two. I mean, you could be your whole life, you know, in the same church with ten different preachers and never hear that because it's hard. I mean, if we're not going, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not casting too much shade their way because I'm, I mean, I'm the first to tell you like if we if we just did topical you know series you know whatever I mean I'm not like hey you know what can't wait to preach on into Matthew 21 beginning of chapter 22 you know I've been been waiting for this one you know where's my where's my series where's my chance to do that but it's a precaution it's a safety for us as we teach through books of the bible So that we have to deal with the whole. And the problem is, you know, we have, you know, even many true followers of of Jesus who have spent, you know, decades, the decades in the church, and there's many passages that have never been touched. There's many books that have never been touched. You know, that's a that's a problem, and I know it's really difficult for us. I mean, it's going to take us a long time to get through everything. I mean, I get that, but you know, and, and we had to recognize that, you know, among ourselves, and, and had an honest, you know, reflection. Yeah, kind of been a void revelation for a while because it's really hard. You know, kind of, you know. So, thanks for pushing us on that. You know, but. You, you, you get you get what I'm saying with it. There's a there's a value in that, folks. There's a value in that. And and I, I kind of want to make some some plea and some uh, appeal here to myself and, and to all of us. Like we if we believe what we do here matters in our approach, and that we're willing to tackle these hard things. Right, That we are willing to, just to teach through books of the Bible, even though that's not sometimes all that glamorous. That each Sunday we meet, not to a message, or to musicians, or to anything else, but we meet to a person, Jesus Christ, and we take the bread and the cup to remember him. And we have a time where we can share in that together, and different people can share as they're led by the Holy Spirit. We believe these things are important. We believe we have a gospel that is a life or death scenario to share, not to share. Then if we believe these things to be true beyond the theoretical, but to the practical, it means we need to pray more. And it means we need to serve more. It means we need to work more to you know, share these blessings you know, with other people. And I'm not, you know, just trying to show, throw shade on other churches. There are a lot of good churches in our city. And there's them that teach that the same way and, and value many of the same, you know, things, you know, that we do. That's not our concern. You know, our concern are those who aren't believers yet. That's primary. Don't know Jesus yet. You know, people who are believers who don't have a church home don't have fellowship. That's a area of concern because everybody needs that needs you know life together, accountability. People are who are in groups or in churches that don't preach the gospel. You know, don't feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about that. You know, somebody. Will, I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes you know, a situation people come from a really good church. Like, eh, hey, now. What you doing while you leaving? You know, like let's have some conversations because we're not just looking for that. But there's a lot of church. I, I mean, I'm using church very word church very loosely. I mean, some are straight cults, and others are, you know, they just have no gospel. Well, you know, people shouldn't be in, afflicted to be in a, in a church for decades, years, whatever. And, and churches that don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know. Um, yeah, so anyway, but we have an order there of our concern. And so let's pray toward that end um, and work toward that end. I know it's summer, a um, lot of travel. I mean, we've had travel, you know, coming up as well. Um, but as much as you can be here to be faithful to that, be here as much as you are able, um, as much as you can invite others uh, to come, because summer's a great time to get to know people and to build family, to build relationships, to build community. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as we read these things, you know, we don't want want people facing the judgment of God. And as I read the, the scriptures, God doesn't want people to face the judgment of God. His preference is mercy. But he is holy and he will exact justice where it is due. But we can be thankful if you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, you give thanks. Jesus took that wrath, Jesus took that punishment and that payment for all the bad you and I have done. My list is long. Jesus paid for it at the cross. Give thanks this morning, be a thankful people. And they say, Lord, we don't want to view ourselves as lords. But as stewards. As servants. Help us, Lord. To be good stewards of what you've given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your, your great mercy and kindness to us. Lord, help us to be good stewards of all that you've entrusted us with. Help us to fight for the souls of people on our knees, through service and conversation, through intentional relationships. God, help us through taking the time to talk to a stranger, knowing that they're not strangers to you, God, but you know them so well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us Help us to love you and to love your word. Help us to dig and to grow. Lord, we pray that we would be those who would bear a fruitful harvest and we would be those who desired to give to you in thanksgiving. We praise your holy name, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.